Well, in my 62 years, I have been a part of many different worship services, but never have I seen one of our worship leaders do the gritty on the way back to the green room before the video. Oh, so glad. Listen, whether you're online or in-house, the warmest welcome. We're just, just so thankful that you're here. You must know that. Okay, this is our wrap-up sermon to our series on the power of re. And we have looked at the words repent, reconcile, reproof, and now today, regenerate, regeneration. This is a most powerful word, and it's used specifically only two times in all of the New Testament, but it is a common theme throughout the whole of God's written word. It speaks of God's work, not human work. It points to God's initiative, not human initiative. This is God stepping in and doing for the human being what the human being in no way can do for themselves. Now, even the deep theological wisdom from the comic strip Dennis the Menace has got this right. Dennis and Joey are walking away from the Wilson's house, each of them with fists full of cookies. And Joey remarks, I wonder what we did to deserve this. And Dennis answers back, Mrs. Wilson did not give us these cookies because we are nice, Joey. Mrs. Wilson gave us these cookies because she is nice. He got it. He got it. God's offer to the human being, this regeneration, comes from who he is. Because let me tell you something. No human being ever, past, present, future, ever deserves to receive God's regeneration. Let me explain. This word speaks of a new birth and the ensuing new life. It is to be, it, it's to be renewed or revived or to be spiritually reborn in every meaning of the word, a full conversion from one thing to another. Now, when Nicodemus the Pharisee came privately to Jesus one evening, Jesus told Nicodemus that he needed to do something that was absolutely impossible for Nicodemus to do. Let's pick up the text. Jesus said, this is from the Amplified. That's why they're the extra. You know, the Greek has a certain meaning, but the English many times cannot capture it with just one word. So the Amplified version is a great version to study because it helps capture the single meaning of a Greek word by listing several English words to make sense of it. So here we go. Jesus said, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, unless a person is born again, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, sanctified, he cannot ever see and experience the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? Jesus answered, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot ever enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. The physical is merely physical. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be surprised that I have told you, you must be born again, reborn from above. 
spiritually transformed, renewed, sanctified. Look how Jesus goes on here. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it's, go- where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. To be born again, to be born from above, to be born of the Spirit is always and only an act of God's initiative of regeneration on the human being. You must see this. We must understand this. I'll tell you why even more in just a second. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Notice it doesn't say, but transform yourselves. Do you know why it doesn't say transform yourselves? Because the human being can't transform themselves. Not spiritually. They can't do it. Look at this one in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, in other words, we just keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Unless anybody misunderstand exactly what he's talking about, look at the very last phrase. For this comes what? This, being transformed. Being transformed comes from who? The Lord, who is the Spirit. The part that we play is just to keep our eyes on Jesus. But the transformation process is every bit on the Holy Spirit. Both the initial regeneration and our ongoing daily regeneration is the Lord's alone to accomplish. One more passage to back this up, 2 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, we do not become discouraged, spiritless, disappointed, or afraid. Though our outer self is progressively wasting away, yet our inner self is being progressively renewed day by day. Regeneration is brought about only by God's initiative. God works in the human heart, and then that person responds in faith. So you see, in God's regeneration, a person's sinful nature begins an ongoing process of change. Regeneration is a radical change. Radical. Just as our physical birth resulted in us entering into the earthly realm, So our regeneration, our spiritual birth, results in us entering into the heavenly, spiritual realm. And when he regenerates you, things begin to change on the inside, and you begin searching and looking for unseen realities. That's why we start living by faith and no longer by sight, Look at Colossians 3.2, this inspired word from God. Set your mind now on things above, not on earthly things. God's regeneration has changed our whole worldview. We look at this existence completely differently than we once did. Now, people who don't believe, they look at us who do believe, and they think that we are just simply distracting ourselves with these different myths and fairy tales. 
We're somehow setting our mind on things above, focusing on the unseen, because we don't want to live in the reality of this broken world. They see that we're looking at it as a crutch. Well, let me be the first to admit, faith is a fantastic crutch, because left to myself, I'm going to fall. I'm going to fall. Give me that crutch, and I want it under both arms. But the point is this. Something begins to change in us because of God initiating his regeneration in us. And suddenly we know that everything that we can physically see, y'all, it isn't going to last. Name one physical thing that you can see that's going to last. Audience participation. Crickets. There is not one physical thing that you can see that will last. But are there eternal things that will last forever that are unseen? Love, joy, peace. That's just to start the surface. Scratch the surface. C.S. Lewis has a great quote on this. Look, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. People with lousy character don't move humanity to a better place. No, it's people whose character has been reshaped by God's regeneration that have made the world a better place. It's people like Martin Luther and Abraham Lincoln and William Shakespeare and Florence Nightingale and Mother Teresa and Martin Luther King Jr. and Billy Graham and the list goes on and on. Those who have received the Lord's generation are the real world shakers. You see, without regeneration, well, there's no power. There's no change. Which brings us to the most stunning passage in the New Testament on regeneration. It's Titus chapter 3. I'm going to begin with verse 3. Look at the text. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that in being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So did you pick up on the contrast? You see our condition. We are foolish. We lack understanding. 
Ephesians 4.8 says that we are without God. We lost, we're lost in ignorance because of our own hard hearts. It says that we are disobedient. We willfully persist in doing what we want instead of what God wants. Open rebellion. It says that we are misled and deceived. We're prone to wander and leave the God we love. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's a hymn that you sing in this church. Like sheep, we go astray. We prefer staying in the dark. And many times, we just are led deeper and deeper into sin, following the devil himself. We are slaves to sin. We're enslaved to the desires of the flesh, greed, fame, and sex. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and lust, and lust, and lust of the um, pride of life, lust of the eye, and lust of the flesh. There it is, greed, fame, and sex. Self-indulgence is our chief aim. Malicious. The idea here is a repugnant rottenness that we have inside of us toward other people of all things. Malice, a desire to spread destruction or cause distress. It's a lifestyle of evil. This is hard to listen to, isn't it? This is our nature. We are envious, grasping for more of what others have and who they are. We resent them, and we're never satisfied with who we are or what we have. And then finally, to top it all off, we're just full of hatred, loathing and detesting others without love. This is our natural state before receiving the regeneration that God offers. Now, that's a bunch of ugly people. You notice Mark said at the beginning of his comments, hello, all you beautiful people. He said that because you have received the Lord's regeneration. Before the Lord's regeneration, none of us are too pretty. That's a pretty clear text. Now, much more importantly, notice these qualities of God in contrast to our own ugliness. He saved us from our foolishness through his goodness. He is eternally pleasing and beneficial, perfectly consistent, and without any evil at all. And it makes me want to use this word as an expletive. Goodness. He is good. He saved us from our disobedience with his loving kindness. An eager compassion that delivers from all pain and distress. An extraordinary expression of affection. Loving kindness. He saved us from our misled deceptions with his boundless mercy. Not giving us what we deserve. And in place of punishment and harm, you know what he gives us? Compassion and forgiveness from all of our wrongs. He saved us from enslavement to sin with this washing of regeneration. He washes us clean with the righteousness of his sacrificed son, not because of any of our own righteousness. Do you know what our own righteousness amounts to? Filth. Filth. That's all we got on our own. He saved us from our maliciousness by renewing us with the Holy Spirit, actually choosing to live inside of us, creating something new beyond anything that any of us could ask or imagine. 
And he saves us from our envy by justifying us with his grace. His grace gives us this undeserved favor instead of facing the consequences of our sin, which is now we are free from our guilt and death. And finally, he saved us from our obsession with hatred by making us his heirs for all eternity. We've been saved most incredibly for this wild inheritance. You are guaranteed to live forever as a beneficiary an existence that has no more pain, no more crying, no more disappointment, no more anger, no more discomfort, no more evil, no more death. Forever. Now, after all of this too-good-to-believe description of regeneration, notice what the writer, the inspired writer says after all of this contrast, all of our foolishness and all of our sin and all of our yuck, and then we see God's characteristics, and then comes to verse 8. Look, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Could it be more clear the part that good works plays in regeneration? Devoting ourselves to good works is always and only after regeneration. After. God's regeneration always comes first. Our good works are always and only after God's salvation. Now, why is this so important? I'll tell you. Because your maker refuses to leave anything about your salvation hanging in the balance. He does not want it to hang on you because he knows what we'll do with it. We'll miss it. It has been completely paid for and offered by God himself, and he has left nothing of our salvation to chance. Nothing. His offer of regeneration is there for the taking if we will but receive it in faith. If we will say yes in faith to God's gift of grace. Now, you might notice that I have carefully not used the word baptism with this topic. The first reason I haven't used the word baptism with this topic is because the inspired writer doesn't use it in this stunning passage. Well, let me tell you something. The power of your salvation is not in your baptism. It's in where your baptism points. The power of regeneration happened 2,000 years ago on the cross. So when you are baptized, you are baptized into that sacrifice. That's saying yes in faith to God's offer of regeneration. So where's the power to your salvation? In your obedience? <laughs> no, it's in his obedience. I'm just obeying into him. 
I'm responding to what he has done. I'm saying yes to the offer. Do you see that takes the power away from our obedience? Your salvation need never rest on you. That's why God regenerates you, and when he regenerates you, you find yourself saying, you know, I'm a different person. I used to be headed this way, but something in me is changing. Something in, and then you start reaching out, and you start living by faith and not by sight, and you start thinking about things that are unseen instead of things that are seen. He's the one that started this change in you. And that way, when you stand before God and he looks at you and says, now why should I let you in my heaven? Don't say, because I went to church. How much does going to church save you? Don't say, well, because I read my Bible. <laughs> How much does reading the Bible save you? Well, because I tried to pray every night before I went to... <laughs> you think your prayers save you? Well, because I was baptized. If God looks at you and says, why should I let you in heaven? You say, because of the person that's sitting on your right hand. It's the slain lamb of God. That, that's my ticket in. He took my place. And everything else that you do now, these devoted works, these devoted good works, are in response to the regeneration that he's given. Do you see the importance of this? Otherwise, you're going to stand before God and you're going to try to explain all the good things that you did. And that pearly gate's going to shut in your face. You make sure that he receives the credit for your standing with God. It's only because of Jesus. Do you see the power of this word regeneration? It's saying yes to the grace. You guys, it's my favorite story that Billy Graham ever told. And he told a bunch of good ones. But this is my favorite. He was down south and he was driving through a southern town. And Billy wasn't paying attention to how fast he was going. And he got picked up by an officer. An officer gave him a ticket. Billy Graham admitted to his guilt. Didn't sway the officer one single bit. Officer had no clue who he stopped. He said, you're going to have to appear in court. So Billy Graham said, well, okay then. So shortly thereafter, he's before the judge. The judge didn't even look up. He just said, all right, guilty or not guilty? And Billy Graham said, I plead guilty. And the judge replied, well, that'll be $10, a dollar for every mile that you sped over the limit. Don't you wish that was still in go in going on? <laughs> but suddenly, right after the judge gave this pronouncement, he recognized the famous evangelist standing there in his courtroom. And the judge quickly said, now see, uh, you have violated the law, sir, and uh, the fine must be paid, and, um, and I, I'm going to pay it for you. And he pulled out his wallet, and he pulled out a $10 bill, and then the judge took that $10 from his own wallet, and he attached it to the ticket, and then he took Billy Graham out, and he paid for a steak dinner. <laughs> you know what Billy Graham said? That is exactly how God treats repentant sinners. Not only does he take away our debt, he says, I'm going to make you an heir to a promise, and you're never going to die. Oh, you guys, the truth is that when every one of us was dead in our transgressions and sins, God had already made his regeneration available. Have you said yes to God's offer? Have you shared this beautiful, powerful word of regeneration with people in your life, in your circle that God brings into you? 
Father, this is, without doubt, the best news ever that you would initiate your regeneration in us when we didn't even know you, when we were going the other way. And to think that this is that quickening of the Holy Spirit that sparks us to begin thinking about you and realizing that we are not holy like you. And it begins this gift of faith that you so kindly give us. And it begins this walk with you. Oh, Father, let us be people who live and share this message. Oh, to be like you. Make us like that, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, church, let's stand. Let's sing this. Sing it with all of your heart. This is such a good song.